Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Across Canada, we've seen high numbers of people sick with the flu and a lot of kids sick with RSV or Group A strep. And in some cases, people are ill with a viral illness and COVID-19. So this week, we're asking, what do we know about COVID-19 co-infections? Hi, Allison. Welcome back to The Dose. Hi, Brian. Nice to be here. Do you actually know of any cases yourself uh, of people, patients who've had COVID-19 and a viral illness like influenza or RSV at the same time? Yeah, we're we're doing some studies in hospital looking at people hospitalized and there are, it, it's a minority of cases, obviously, but there are definitely people who either have COVID and something else or have RSV and flu. Um, two infections is not common, but it certainly happens. So this is something that we want to hear about. Before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. Just ad lib. Hi, my name is Alison McGear and I'm an adult infectious disease physician at Sinai Health System in Toronto. Okay, let's go. I've seen some experts say on social media that COVID-19 co-infections are behind the increased severity in viral illness. How much of that is true? Well, none of it if it's co-infection, you know, infections at the same time, which is what we usually mean by co-infections, because those those happen regularly, but they are distinctly uncommon. Because if you think about it, you know, even if 100% of people get infected every year, that's one infection, you know, every three days. And the chances that you'll hit the same day for two infections is you know, it's not nothing, but it's not high. So it's still really uncommon to have COVID and another virus at the same time. So, you know, as a general phenomenon, how common are co-infections, you know, when we're not talking about COVID, all infections combined in the general population? What what you, it's, it's a statistical thing mostly, okay? So you look at, you know, your risk of getting influenza in any week and your risk of getting RSV in any week, and then you can do, you know, just a multiplication that says, okay, what are the chances that you'll get both of them at the same time? And obviously it depends on, you know, who you're exposed to and, you know, where you spend your time and whether you've been vaccinated against influenza, all those usual things. But it turns out that viral infections in the winter are common enough that it's not unusual to get two infections at the same time. Uncommon, but not unusual. And almost always, having two infections at the same time is worse than just having one infection. I mean, no surprise there, right? You're trying to deal with two infections at the same time. It's going to be worse, not usually dramatically worse, but definitely people with particularly kids with two infections at the same time are more likely to end up hospitalized. So people like me who work in hospitals see more dual infections than people who work outside of hospitals because they tend to be more severe. Why are they more likely? Why are kids, for instance, more likely to be hospitalized if they have two infections at the same time? 
I, you know, I suppose technically we don't know, but really it's just about, you know, if you, if, if two bad things happen to you at once, um, you're more likely to get in trouble. Okay, let's talk about COVID. What does the research show about COVID-19 infections and the risk of contracting a viral illness at the same time or perhaps immediately afterwards? Well, from my perspective, not very much. You know, I think I, I think there's two things we're talking about with what happens with COVID and other infections. And the first is, uh, is there what we call viral interference? So does having one viral infection uh, either protect you from another viral infection at the same time or make you more likely to get that infection. And there are a limited number of specific circumstances where you can see viral interference happening. To date, there's no good evidence that it happens with COVID and other viral infections. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it never happens. It's not true. Uh, but we just haven't seen it. There are some studies of the laboratory studies of your immune reaction that suggests that maybe when you've had COVID, you'll be more likely to get other infections. Um, but they're not by any means definitive. And I think if if it was really going to happen, we, we should have seen some indication of it by now. And we really haven't. What sorts of examples of lab evidence for, for immune interference have you seen that have struck you? So I think I, I'm, I'm not much of a lab person. I'm kind of an epi person. So, you know, I, I think there are, we do know, for instance, that when you get an infection with uh, most respiratory viruses, you get what's called an innate immune response and you produce more interferon. And that production of interferon will, to some degree, protect you um, from infections. And you can see, I think probably the best study of looking at what happens in the real world is a study published, I think a couple of years ago now, um, looking at viruses in Scotland, where you can, you can see that when influenza goes up at a population level, that there's a decrease in rhinovirus infections. Now, it's not like, don't get excited about it. Okay, it's not a huge effect. Uh, it's not like rhinoviruses go away when influenza appears. Um, but there does seem there, there's a measurable correlation over time that suggests that what's happening is that when your immune system is activated due to influenza, that it prevents you from getting um, a rhinovirus infection, maybe just over the next few days, not, not a long-term effect, um, but maybe a short-term effect. They didn't, however, see interference with most other viral infections, though. So I really, um, you know, I, I, it, there's just not good evidence that there's a significant degree of interaction that's, that's making a clinical difference to people. I have also read that uh, COVID infections might lower T cells and might contribute to what's been called immune dysregulation. Yes. And, you know, and very clearly when you have an acute COVID infection, your immune system is dysregulated. Otherwise, um, you using biologics to change your immune system going on steroids, you know, those are, those are therapeutic interventions that don't work for other infections. And that tells you that severe disease due to COVID, um, is, at least in part due to immune dysregulation, and you can make it better by suppressing pieces of your immune system. What we don't have, though, 
is good evidence that except for you know people who are severely ill in hospital that that immune dysregulation actually clinically significantly increases your risk of other infections in hospitals there is some evidence that people with severe covid are likely to get complications but it's then it's really hard to separate out what's just being in the hospital because being in the hospital is not good for you um, what's because of the suppression of the immune system that we're deliberately doing to try to make you better from COVID and what might be going on because of the COVID itself. Yes, there is immune dysregulation. What there isn't is evidence that that immune dysregulation results in a higher risk of other infections. It's interesting. So, so you're saying it's, it's not impossible that, that some of the effects that we're seeing where in some cases people get a second infection in the wake of COVID, that it could be due to getting COVID itself or it could be due to the therapies that are used to treat the COVID. Yeah, it's, it does not look, you know, this is not something that kind of stands out and hits you over the head. It's not that you look at people with COVID and say, oh, it's really obvious that they're having more infections. And, and just to give you a sense of comparison, the only viral infection we know that suppresses your immune system and results in a higher risk of infection, it generally in the short term after you have it, is measles, okay? Mm-hmm. And before the germ theory of disease, okay, when we didn't know what caused measles, we still knew that people who had measles were more likely to get infections afterwards. So that we're talking 19th century. So, you know, in that one circumstance, it it was clinically obvious that the effect was going on. So it's really reassuring that it hasn't been clinically obvious that people are at significantly higher risk when they've had COVID. That doesn't mean there's not some effect. It just means the effect is not large. So then what's your take on why we've seen such high rates of, of RSV infections in infants and children that have required uh, some of them at least to be admitted to hospital, some of them in the intensive care unit, numbers far higher than, than we usually see at this time of year in, in other years. What's your take on why that's happening in children? So, so to me, We'll wait until we see the detailed numbers before you can nail me to the ground on on whether this is absolute. But what's happened during the pandemic? So you look at a birth cohort of children, okay, between the between when you're born and when you're one year old, you go through a winter season. And in the average winter season, there's about a 40% chance that you'll get influenza if you're a child under three. Um, and a 25 or 30% chance that you'll get RSV. Um, and gradually over time, so, you know, for the first three years of your life, um, you're going to get at least one and maybe two or three RSV infections. And the first infection is the most severe. We just had two complete winter seasons in Toronto, at least, with no RSV at all. So now what we have is three birth cohorts of kids, and then some more kids who are older, right? Because sometimes it's your second infection that gets you into the hospital. So we've got this huge backlog of kids who have not been exposed to RSV at all, when under normal circumstances, we would have seen three years of infections. So once RSV starts circulating in October, 
you've got a much larger pool of susceptibles than you usually do in that young age group who have a lot more close contact with each other than you and I do. Okay, they do not do Zoom calls, generally speaking. Um, so once those kids start getting infected, you see a faster increase than you would usually expect in the number of cases. And you've got at least three times as many infections as you usually have. And in Canada, our pediatric hospitals run very close to the edge of capacity, particularly in the ICU. So do our adult hospitals, but in peds it's even worse. And so in an average RSV winter, it's not uncommon for pediatric hospitals to be having trouble with ICU beds just due to one time the number of RSV. At three, three and a half times the number of RSV cases, of course we're in trouble. Um, and I think we, um, not unreasonably, we failed to appreciate that this was going to happen to us. Um, but I don't think we need any, we, we don't need uh, any other explanation of why we're in so much trouble other than this, just this really significant increase in the number of kids who haven't been exposed to RSV at all. Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I want to talk about the implications of three cohorts of infants and kids getting exposed to RSV, circulating RSV at the same time. Uh, you've started to talk about that. Um, but before, we, before I talk about that, I want to ask you about group A strep, because we've seen a rising number of cases of group A strep in infants and, and children. And, uh, you know, it started in the UK. We've seen cases in Canada. What's behind that? So that's much harder to judge. The group A strep has year-to-year -year variability, uh, absent pandemic seasons, okay? So it comes and it goes. And at least as far as I can tell, the cases in the United Kingdom are not dramatically worse than their worst year in a decade, okay? So it's bad, relatively speaking, um, but it's not the worst year ever. And so that that just makes it a little hard to judge how much of this is natural variability that we see in group A strep that we don't understand at all, okay, it just happens. Um, and how much of this might be um, uh, post-pandemic. There are some jurisdictions, not all of them, um, that have been reporting a lower number of group A strep cases during the pandemic. And that that's kind of what you would expect because group A strep, like respiratory viruses, is transmitted person to person, right? So. Um, it, it wouldn't be unreasonable if group A strep infections decline during the pandemic. We have not seen that in Toronto. Um, and I think opinion is divided as to whether it didn't happen um, uh, for reasons we don't understand or whether um, what was going to happen was that group A strep infections were going to go up. And so the fact that they stayed stable is actually a decrease. It's just not a decrease we can perceive because we didn't know um, that they were going to increase. Um, so it, a piece of the group A strep may be, again, this, this relative absence of group A strep infections over the last three years. 
A piece of it is also likely related to the really sharp increase in, at least in influenza infections in children. Um, influenza is known to predispose to complicating bacterial infections of the respiratory tract. It's a, you know, nobody's really sure whether it's just that the influenza damages the surface layer of cells. And obviously what protects you from bacterial invasion of your respiratory tract is having an intact layer of surface cells. Um, so it may just be local damage that, that predisposes you to infection. Um, it also might be something about the immune system um, responding to influenza that permits bacterial infection. So a piece of the increase in group A strep infections might be um, because there's so much influenza around and kids who have influenza are then more likely to get group A strep infections if they're exposed to group A strep. I want to talk about the term immunity debt. And, you know, the term has been condemned, I think rightly so, by a lot of experts because it's been misinterpreted to mean that infants and children may be getting penalized for having missed out, quote unquote, on getting viral infections like RSV earlier during the pandemic. And I wanted to get your thoughts on the whole concept. You know, some have condemned it outright. Others have said there's some sense to it, but it's been misinterpreted by, by in, in, particularly in social media. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it. So if you want the honest truth, I don't know what people mean by immunity debt. I think I've, I mean, you could interrupt me and correct me, but I think, so, so there's the, the things that I've heard people talk about are, um, you know, first of all, this thing about you've not been exposed to viruses, so you're getting viral infections later. So I don't think I don't think we need to worry about that delay in when you get your first infection uh, as a significant problem for kids. Then there are people who've talked about the fact that if you haven't had a respiratory viral infection for two years, that somehow your immune system is out of practice. And and that piece I think we can safely dismiss as nonsense, right? Your immune system deals with all sorts of stuff every day: what you eat, what you breathe in, what you touch. Um, and the fact that you haven't had a couple of respiratory viral infections is really not something your immune system is going to notice or going to get you into trouble. And then there's the concept of, of dysregulation from COVID, that if you've had COVID, you might be more predisposed to other things. And that's a, yep, that, that, that may have some impact. It's just, uh, you know, we really haven't seen any clinical effect yet from that. So... I think I know what you're going to say, but but I want to give you a chance to say it anyway. Should people be worried about co-infections? Is there anything that they can do to try to prevent them? Well, I mean, people should be worried about infections, period, right? Infections are the, the problem with influenza, the problem with COVID, the problem with RSV is that now most people who have those infections get pretty mild infections and they recover from them completely and it's okay. But there are some people who get severe infections with any one of them. There are some people who get long COVID out of long COVID. There are some people who take a long time to recover from influenza um, or from reactive airways after RSV infection. So none of these things are infections you want to have. Okay, it's not just you don't want to have both infections at the same time. You really don't want to have any one of these infections if you don't have to. Um, and so, uh, you know, here we go back again, right? Get your COVID booster. Make sure you've had your flu shot. 
clean your hands, um, wear a mask in crowded indoor settings, stay home with your, when you're sick so that you don't give it to other people. Last thing I'm going to ask you, we've been talking about COVID infections. Before we go, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the XBB.1.5 subvariant that seems to be uh, increasing rapidly in many parts of North America, including Canada. You know, it's a, it's, it's a consequence of viral evolution. It means, I think, that we're likely to see more cases in January and February. How many more cases is, is still an open question. Uh, to me, the risk is high enough that if you're particularly, if you're over, say, 50, um, you want to go and get your bivalent booster now. There's very good evidence that it will offer you protection against XBB.1.5. And um, we want we want our hospitals preserved. We want people not to be sick. We want people at work and at school. Um, and the, the best way to try to ensure that that happens is for people to be up to date with their boosters. But it's also, I think, just a reminder to people that we're likely to see more activity. And so it's just, just please hold on for another couple of months with cleaning your hands and being up to date with your boosters and thinking about wearing a mask when you're in crowded indoor spaces, um, because we are going to see more disease. There's, there's just no question. Dr. Allison McGeer, thanks once again for being on The Dose. A pleasure, Brian. Take care. Dr. Allison McGeer is an adult infectious disease physician at Sinai Health System in Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. We've seen a surge in the number of kids and, to a lesser extent, adults with severe viral infections like RSV and influenza. We've also seen a bit of a spike in the number of infants and children with severe group A strep infection. That has led to speculation that a current or recent COVID infection might predispose some people to these other viruses and bacteria. There is some evidence that COVID has an impact on the immune system. A number of studies in the lab have suggested that COVID infection may cause something doctors refer to as immune dysregulation. For instance, some studies have shown that COVID can trigger a drop in T cells, which are important for immune function. But there's not enough evidence to say that COVID increases the risk of RSV or flu by damaging the immune system. The good news is that it's quite rare for patients to be dealing with COVID and RSV or flu at the same time. It's more likely we're seeing many more infants and children and to some extent adults hospitalized with RSV or flu because more people are congregating indoors and fewer people are wearing masks. In the case of RSV, pediatric hospitals have seen a sharp increase in hospitalizations because they're seeing three years' worth of kids getting infected at the same time. There is no evidence that avoiding RSV and flu infections earlier in the pandemic somehow weakened the immune system. The immune system is not a muscle that needs to be exercised by being exposed to viruses. Your immune system continues to operate whether or not you contract an infection. Fortunately, co-infections with COVID and viruses are rare. You can help prevent them by staying up to date on vaccinations, hand washing, and wearing masks in indoor places where lots of people congregate. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. 
Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.